We are in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Verses 10 through 16 today. Love God, love people. We uh, have been journeying through this letter. And I, I have been, you know, and I, say, I know I say this probably every letter or book I get to teach from the Bible. I just so enjoy it because it's, I've taught it before, I've read it before, I've been through it before. But there's just so much. It's always so rich. There's so much that can be applied and put into practice and grasped and comprehended concerning not only the the manner by which we live, but the power that's present that enables us to live that way, as well as it's knowing God in a deeper and personal way. And so I'm going to give you an overview of the first nine verses. Then we're going to pray, and we'll dig in uh, there beginning in chapter 3, verse 10. The first nine verses we covered last week, and it, it, it begins the chapter with a, a the declaration, with a probing statement, with the life-changing reality. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us. It's just like, take hold of this. Could, could you just peer into this? Could you discover this manner of love, this, this type of love? It's not a love that's your common, or your, it's common to you or that you know. Most of us, we know if we're not born again, we only know to love in a relational sense, in a sensual way. And I don't mean that just sexual. I mean sensual, like your, your, your body senses. We, we love in an expression of those. It always has various conditions. It doesn't have the deep root that this manner of love, this manner of love that God has given to us is an other world love. It literally speaks of that. That it's not just something you see in a, in a pleasant place, in a nice culture, or in a nice community. It's something that literally comes, as the Bible tells us, from above. It's his love. It's a love that empowers us and enables us to live like him. It's a, it's a love that really brought us into a relationship with him. We're going to see today that not every person is a child of God, despite common teaching in the world today and some churches. Not every person is a child of God. You, every person is a creature of God, agreed, created by God. But not every person has been adopted, brought into the family of God. That comes from a, a born-again experience, a relationship with Jesus Christ. It, it, the core of it is when we agree with God. He stirs our hearts. We don't even know it. But we become aware that we've done wrong. There's things about us that we need forgiveness for. And when that is stirring and taking place and we agree with God, we, we, we do what we refer to as accept Christ, which really is just re- agreeing with God. Believing that Jesus is God, we then say, God, forgive me for, this, for, the, for my sin, my issues, and show me this new life. And the Bible says that at the moment that transaction takes place, that we, in our heart of hearts, we do that. Not a religious expression, but a real life experience. The moment we do that, we're born of the Spirit, born again. Now being born again, we have a new life. So verses 1 through 9 speak of the power of love, His love. This, this brings new life, um, born again. It brings, uh, you know, the, the born, we're born of divine love, this other world love. We have new practices 
new choices. It comes with being new, new practice, new opportunity, new choices, new life patterns, which involve God's presence within you and your response to him. Don't ever think that the Christian life is about showing up at church, especially you know, because you came to first service, you're far more spiritual than second service sleepers, right? So it's not, you know, we don't ever want to slip into these subtle thoughts that it's, it's, it's all my discipline. It, it involves God's presence within you and your response to him. So whatever service, it's a response to him. You know, he reveals the power of his love. You choose to practice loving. Is that one way to help you see it? He reveals the power of his love, his person, presence, the Holy Spirit within you. And, and then we choose to practice loving. Before you were born again, you were born of this world. You, once you were born again, born of the Spirit, you no longer are under the power of this world system. It's really important because you are still, um, you're still under the influence. In other words, this world system involves values and passions and self-promotion and pride and hatred. We've seen it in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. The things of this world. You're still influenced by the world, but it no, you're no longer chained to it. Christian, realize this. You're influenced by this world. You're tempted to sin. You're, you're drawn to certain things, but you're no longer attached to them. They no longer have power over you. And we have to remind ourselves. I, I know sometimes we just like, man, I just can never win on this sin. I just keep giving in. This one just keeps getting me. Keep fighting. It does not have power over you. The power of the cross has released you from the power of sin and death. And so important. This new life that we have brings new desires, new values, new power to live. So with that, let's read Let's pray, then we're going to read verses 10 through 15. God, as we approach your word, we do it, Lord, with, with sobriety, with an awareness that for us to be your children, you've done the work. You have went to the cross. You, God, have chose to come as a man, to live a sinless life, endure the hostility of humanity and the torture of the cross. And you did it out of love to conquer death and hell, to give us your victory. And so, God, as we would approach your word this morning, may you speak to our hearts individually. If we're religious people and we don't know it, could you reveal that, Lord, individually to us, Lord? If we find ourselves maybe unreceptive, could you speak to us in such a way that we'd receive? Thank you, God, that as we gathered in your name, you speak to us individually. If we're just hearers of the word and not doers, Lord, may you convict our hearts according to your love, your mercy, and grace. Be free to reign within our hearts this day, O God, as you teach us your word. We look to you and rejoice in you. It's in your precious name, the name above all names, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. 1 John chapter 3, continuing, verse 10. In this... The children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? 
because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Verse 13, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. All right, well, I'd like to now start through there at verse 10. I started uh, yesterday. I had this aspiration and desire to finish the chapter, and then I woke up and realized we've got a lot to cover right where we are. So let's take a look. There's a lot that needs to be revealed and clarified in verse 10. Uh, If the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest or made known, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. So we've seen it last week. You can get a more in-depth look at the things we went over with the start of the chapter, and we emphasized it when we were on verses 8 and 9. But if you live comfortably... While continuing in sin, you are not born again. What? Well, I'm just reading what it says. It speaks of practicing righteousness. If you do not practice righteousness, then, then why would you call yourself born again? Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that Christians do not sin. The text here, as you can see, the wording, it says, whoever does not practice righteousness, which leads you to understand that means whoever practices sinning, who is habitual, continual, joyfully, and comfortably in sin, they're not born again. You can read the rest of the chapter later if you like. If you're miserable and sinning, then perhaps you're born again. Because, see, most of us know the misery. Especially when we're first born again and we don't even know what all that means. And we didn't you know, get an all-seeing eye on our forehead to be able to have better discernment and see the things of this life. We just are still in the same body. We're still in the, some of those, so many things that's still the same. Many of us had the same friends. We had the same passions, the same habits, the same behaviors, the same appetites. But we're told by the Bible, we're told that the moment we're born again and something happened. We can't explain it. It's a, it's a peace that surpasses understanding. We can't put it into words to someone who hasn't experienced it. Like, man, it's like this weight was taken off my chest. It's like I, I just have such a, I don't know, such a, a content, such a joy. You know, you, you ever tried describing your salvation experience without being flamboyant, but just, just describing it? And people going, do, 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 do. They just, they don't get it. And it's okay, because they, they, they don't get it. But you get it. You're like, man, there's just something different. And, and as you continue in that life, you find yourself doing something that you shouldn't be doing, but you used to do it, and no, it didn't bug you. But now you're miserable when you do it, or when you say it, or when you involve in it, because God is speaking to you as this child. Don't, don't go there. Don't do that anymore. Well, I always have. Mm-hmm. Don't do that anymore. You could maybe remember your parents telling you that. Stop doing that, Johnny. No more of that. <laughs> Why? Because it's just not good for you. Mom never says that. Dad never says it's not good for you. They say it this way. Because I said so. Because they have authority. They should be able to say that with such a sense that you know the love. It doesn't always come off that way because you're a rebel. But it, you know, it's just ultimately because I, I know what's best for you. If you can sin and be comfortable then you really should go, wait a minute, am I really right with God? 
If you find yourself struggling and miserable when you're in this point of giving in to temptation and sinning, then repent. We've already covered it. First John chapter 1, verse 9. If you confess your sins, in other words, you agree with God in this area of your life, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so it's so important because, you know, man, we, we got to realize if, if we can continue to reject God's lordship in our life, then why do you call him Lord? Does that make sense? Because why do I belabor it? I don't, I'm not looking at some faces like, oh, man, I got a whole herd of sinners here today. You know, that's not my focus. I just realized the world we live in, like some say like 70 to 80% of Americans profess to be Christians which just means many are just saying, well, I'm not antichrist. But you can look at the state of this world and you would have to say, if 70, 80% are Christian, then why doesn't it reflect the values of a Christ-like follower? Because it does, this nation does not. So you'd have to say, well, maybe we should reset on what a Christian is. Maybe we should rethink. What does it mean? So journey with me. We'll bring it up on uh, projection to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to cover a few things today uh, because I want you to see I, there's, just, there's a lot of things that we need to see differently in our lives in a healthy way. And, and Jesus said this to, the, to his followers in Matthew chapter 7. We see in verse 21, Jesus saying, now this, you understand, this is fairly early, so to speak, in his approximate three-year public ministry. Where he's saying to his followers through this sermon, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, I believe it's a day of reckoning for the individual, a day when we'll give an account for what we've done with what he's given us. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Look at me, God. Look what I've done for you. Look how I live for you. Sometimes I give for you. Sometimes I serve you. Look, look at all this stuff. I helped the old lady walk across the street so she didn't get hurt. Man, I am such a nice person. Look at what I'm doing for you. Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. You who practice it. Isn't it? It's, I heard a, a person say many years ago, as a young Christian, I heard this. These are the most terrifying words to man. And I thought about why would they say that? And it made sense. Because it's someone who's saying that I'm okay with God. And God's saying, get out of here. I don't even know you. Isn't that disturbing? I hope it is. I hope it causes us to go, wait a minute. After, why is that? Why would he say, when I say, Lord, Lord, but guess what it says? If you practice lawlessness, and if you were with us last week, we got into more detail about lawlessness, which is denying his leadership, denying his lordship, saying the name Lord, but, you know, if God speaks to you through his word, which he, he doesn't have to send you a, a special email. You know what I'm saying? When he reveals something, you're like, oh, man. And you excuse yourself from doing it, then stop calling him Lord. Does that make sense? Like, oh, Lord, I, yeah, I, could you just help me in this situation? And he reveals, you know, 
Okay, I'm going to show you how to deal with your anger or your arrogance. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, you, you work on that. I, but could you also do this? And God's like, hey, let's go back to part one. Let's deal with this. Well, no, no, I don't, I don't think that's the issue of my life. It's okay if I do this and do this. And, and our little silly brains that are naturally minded are now saying, it's okay, it's different for me. It's, it's, here's the reason why. How do, we, how do I say, you're my Lord, let me know what you want me to consider? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It's like, you're my Lord. Okay, Dan, I want to address this issue in your heart. Like, oh, I thought that was gone. No, there's still some roots. There's still some seeds. Can I work delicately and perfectly to cut through the thoughts and the intents of the motive of the heart? And can I pull them out? Can I remove that from your heart so that you can see the joy I have for you? Do I say, okay. Lordship says, okay. Do I anticipate it being joyful? Nope. Is it possible it could be painful? I was sharing with a friend earlier today. We were talking about this, these dynamics. And as it came to mind, the time, you know, growing up, we had to, my brother and I, uh, my younger brother didn't because he was mama's favorite. But my older brother and I, <laughs> fact, but anyway, five years younger, youngest, you get it. I don't have to go any further. I'm not lying. So my older brother and I, we had chores that were different. And we had to split firewood, which ironically, I love splitting firewood. It's my favorite exercise now because I don't have to. I get to. I choose to. But then it was just painful. And I was real long, real young, just, you know, barely getting to figure out how to do it, more packing firewood for dad. But there was one point where I had got a really deep sliver. And I'm crying. I'm a little kid. I'm like, ow, it hurts so bad. It's like, oh, man, and dad says, let me see it. And like, no, you know, and of course, what do I do? What would you do? No, you run to mom. I'm running to mom, man. She's got some special ointment or something, you know, maybe one of her tears because dad hasn't got tears, you know, so there's got to be something going on. So I go to mom and dad comes in and they, they you know, this sliver is so deep that it's in this, under the skin. So you, you know what you have to do. You have to cut access to get to it. And so they are holding my finger, and, and they're squeezing it, and they're cutting it, and I'm seeing it, and I'm just short of, like, psycho, screaming, ah! You haven't even started yet. You know, like, ah! It hurts, so, it hurts so much more to have them work on pulling that out. But what would have happened if they had not been loving and kind and inflicted minor pain to relieve major pain. We know it would have festered. It would have got worse. It would have been more painful to deal with. Do you see the picture? God's lordship in our life is not to cause hurt, it's to relieve, to bring actually life to us. And so when we see here Jesus saying, you know, don't, don't be stubborn. When he's prompting you, he's prompting me. When he's stirring things, you know it. And, and don't talk yourself into something that's going to actually hurt you even more. But rather, okay, I want, to, I want to practice, put into practice, lawfulness. And don't, don't mistake what it says. Don't misunderstand thinking it's works or law. It's principle. It's leadership. It's his position in your life to direct your steps. I don't want to reject that. And ultimately, that's what you see him connecting. Journey back with me to verse 10. As we were there in 1 John chapter 3. 
We see in verse 10 as he continues. Now he's mentioned that children of God and children of the devil. In other words, the, you're, you're led by one or the other. And, and you can could, you could know which one you are. It says here, interestingly, they're manifest by two things. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. There's two things. The first thing you can see from this verse, you're, it's, it's made evident who you are by the way you live. And the second half we see is by the way you love. The way you live will reveal what your, where your alignment is, where, you, where, you, where your value is. And likewise, the way you love. If I love only to get some type of expression, return, sentiment, gift, whatever in return, we can't really call that love. That's just an emotional deal you're working. Love's different. And he's saying, if you, can't, if you don't love your brother, then you're, you're, how can you say that you're born of God? Now, we're not talking about uh, sibling brotherhood. Actually, I believe the context here shows us it's speaking of the... The, the bloodline of Christ, that, that, that your brethren, the brothers in Christ, if you can't love them, and to a degree, quite honestly, you, you, God empowers you to love even those who are not yet born again. But if we, don't, if we have somebody in our mind that we're like, you know what, I'm just, I just don't like them. And you, it, it festers. I, I don't like a lot of people in the sense of their mannerisms, their habits. Um, you know, most of them is that one in the mirror, you know, and I kind of deal with that. But, you know, you guys, some of you are looking at me like, he doesn't like people? I said, I don't like manners and habit. If you don't agree with me, you're a liar. Because there's certain people you don't like. There's certain things that are just, that's, that's not, that's not disunity. That's not unloving. That's just knowing life. The disciples, the very ones he picked, Moments, if you would, before the cross are walking down the road arguing which one of them is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Did you get it? There's personality, there's uniqueness, there's, there's independence, but not uh, individuality, but not independence. And so it's okay to understand there's just something they don't get. Now, don't park yourself there and expect them to be like you. Perhaps you got to say, well, gosh, you know, maybe it's just, there's variation. There's difference. There's different things. But you can still learn to love. love lacking love is being unwilling to live the love of Christ that you've received to live it out with a particular person. See, that's not anything like the Greek word eros is speaking of a, of a more of where we get the word erotic love or, or phileo, which speaks of uh, Philadelphia brotherly love. But this agape love, love from above that we talked about in verse 1 of chapter 3, this manner of love enables us to love beyond our natural resources. That's why it's a verification of your born-again experience. See, it says in this text, this is how it can be manifested, that we know which child we are, of the devil or of the Lord. By what we practice and by how we love. When we learn to love a brother, we have to admit, I just don't... I'm not prone to loving that person the way they are. I know what they've done. I know how they... But God, could you teach me how to get past me to love differently? To love the way you would show me how to love? And so we see here that those two expressions, they're, you can't try to love and you can't practice righteousness so that you can become a child of God. It's because you're a child of God you choose to do that. 
Pigs live in pig pens, correct? Prodigal sons go home to father. Why do they go home? Because they're not a pig. Pigs live in pig pens. And what happened with the prodigal son? He was fed up with living like a hog. Living in this world and how all But guess what? Why did he return? It wasn't because he was convinced dad's going to give him some more inheritance. It wasn't because he was positive him and his older brother would have a warm embrace. It was because he's of the father. And that's why he went home. That's evident, manifest. And so we see that. We see the love. Verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. This John is speaking to the first wave, so to speak, generation of Christ followers, Christians, we would say. And so he's saying, this is, this is what you heard from the beginning. So consider with me, if you would, in, in Mark chapter 12. And I, I want to go to these because I want you to be able to look at them yourself as well and know the passage in the portion. That's why we go verse by verse. And I like it when I have opportunity and able to, to share and give you these other passages to kind of help solidify it in your mind, get a broader picture. We see in Mark chapter 12, in verse 29, where Jesus is instructing his, his disciples, and somebody comes to him, a, a scribe, a, a teacher, um, one who knew the Jewish system really well. And he asked him some questions, and, and Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So see, Jesus taught that. He drew that from what we call the Old Testament, the Jewish scripture. And he brings this forward. So he's not teaching something that's just unique or new. This has never been known before, this love. Rather, he's, he's bringing this commandment that they've known. But he also not enhances it, but clarifies it. As we consider, if you move there from Mark, move to the right, you know, past Matthew and Luke and settle in the Gospel of John. In chapter 13, specifically verses 34 and 35. He says, a new commandment I give to you. And this is, this is, this is how this old commandment is lived out. It's it not meant to be you never knew this before. It's not, you see what I'm saying? I, I give to you that you love one another. And this is the uniqueness to this new commandment. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Well, how did he love us? This 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, manner of love. A love that's unconditional. It's a love that's compelling. It's a love that's sacrificial. And they don't know that. Do you understand? He hasn't went to the cross. At this point in John chapter 12, he's real close. And they've developed a, a close, you know, earthly relationship with him. But they've seen a divine element as well in the way he engages with people and the miracles he does. And, and, and he's telling them, I'm going to the cross. So when he says this, this is a new manner of love. Like, I have loved you. You also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That love is the com- not just the compelling thing that changes our lives. It's the visible thing that the world will see. 
Let's jump back to verse 12 of 1 John 3 now. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, we have a opposite, if you would. You know, so this is, the, this is what we heard from the beginning, that, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Cain killed his brother. I don't know if you thought about that, and it may allow that to resonate a little bit in your own life. And you know, the first family, Adam and Eve, went through really, really tough stuff. Seriously, not only would they carry in their own psyche, their own mind, the known fact that they rebelled against God and got evicted and set away from God. Because God did it to protect them so they wouldn't live in an eternal state, eating of the tree of life and knowing the difference between good and evil, but lacking the power to live according to good. They, they were moved out. And, and now they have not only the, the, the pain of childbirth for Eve and then the burden and the sweat and the toil of the land for Adam, but one son kills another one. Don't ever overlook that. The grief that a mother and father would endure. And you may say, well, that's not fair. Why did God do that? Because you're not God. You don't get it. I'm not God. I don't understand. I don't get it. But I do know in that first family, which honestly, genetically, they would be the most perfect in in a natural sense, medically speaking. Can we agree? There hasn't been a degradation or a degeneration taking place as we see year after year after year after year in this world of sin. They went through a really tough thing. Let's go to it. I really think it's important that we read it. Take a look at that because some of you have not read the story. And it's referenced here for a reason. We, give it, we see the summary in the verse. But if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. We're just going to read this. I'm going to restrain from uh, expositing or commenting too much on it um, as we go through it. But they've just left the Garden of Eden. In chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and, I, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Cain means acquire. Verse 2, then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. So we can gather from this and glean and understand that Adam and Eve had taught them what the Lord had taught Adam and Eve about worship, about sacrifice, about giving an offering. We're not given the details of how that family meeting went down, but it's clear the two boys understood what they were supposed to do. But Cain chose to do it his way, not allowing the lordship of God in his life. This is the origin of religion, if you want to trace things backwards, where Cain says, I will worship God my way. And what does Abel do? Abel does it according to what God had directed. This is how you you worship. This is how you protect yourself from being too entangled with this world. 
worshiping the world inadvertently. And it says that God recognized Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Tie this together with how we started in this study. There's a child of God and a child of the devil. Remember we've seen that in the 10th verse of 1 John chapter 3. And you see here in this first family, in this scenario, where Cain is choosing to do things his own way. And he's told, listen, it's going to hurt you more. It's going to cause more hardship, more pain, more suffering. I've given you instruction. I will lead your life. But if you reject that, notice what it says. If you do not do well, sin, sin lies at the door. There's this temptation, this, this stirring, this prompting. And its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Do you see what's happening? The exhortation even to you and I? To rule over sin, not give in to it. Not just say it's okay because it's, it's okay. It's never okay. Understand this. You can respond to God's love or you will react to Satan's prompting. You can respond to God's love. That's a choice we all have as born-again Christians. Or we can just say, ah, whatever logic would compel us to reject it, we will react to the devil's prompting. And he won't be wearing a, a, a red suit with horns and carrying a pitchfork. He'll transform himself as an angel of light and he'll appear to be wisdom. But it won't be wisdom of this of heavenly wisdom. James tells us it'll be earthly wisdom and it'll be, it'll be literally demonic and destructive. Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? You kind of sense a little snooty attitude here. God didn't. He was like, I need some input on the little bickering between the boys. That's not what's happening. God's fully aware. I believe he's giving uh, Cain, even now, I, I tilt, he's given him an opportunity to, to own it, to repent, to confess it. And I believe God would be faithful and just to forgive him the sin. There would have been accountability. But do you see, he instead says, what are you getting in my grill about it for? I don't, what, am I supposed to babysit him too? No, I don't know where he's at. Am I my brother's keeper? Then the Lord said to Cain, or I mean, for, verse 10, and he said, God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother, brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. God's all-knowing. Nothing gets by him. And what seemed to be a success, what, what, I eliminated the problem. I removed the situation. And God says, you, you, what have you done? His life cries out to me. And you've tried to take his life. And of course, we'll not get into the rest of it because we're going to keep it in the context of 1 John chapter 3. But Cain continues to have a pity party about how his life's going to be so bad now. But duh, he killed your brother. So um, verse 12 tells us in, back in 1 John chapter 3 that 
his works were evil and his brothers righteous. See, because of this, he did what he did. So what is righteous? You know, what is righteous? Is is the things we do? They're, They're directly tied to it. But it's not that that's the essential. That's what we see with our natural eyes. It's the reason we do it. The reason that we do it is what's so essential. We redo righteousness. Righteousness is believing and living by faith in Jesus. If you're not living by faith, you're not believing. Does that make sense? I can say what I believe all I want, but if my life expression isn't revealing it, it's, it's not accurate. Living by faith is trusting Jesus, obeying him, serving him, worshiping him. Where? Sunday morning? Sure. Yes, definitely. But also at home, at work, when you relax, when you travel, when you recreate, when you hang out with friends. Christ follower, Christian, you who are born again. You are believing while you are breathing. Does that help you know when to believe and live accordingly? As long as you're breathing, just take a deep breath. Just make sure we're all on the same page. Yeah, we are. If you're, if you're breathing, you're believing. And believing means you're trusting in him in everything. Your anxiety, your worry, your concern, your family, all this. It's, it's not like you trust him. It's done. You're learning as you go. And you're learning. I'm learning. We're learning to live out this love. As long as you're in this body, while you're breathing, you're learning to believe, to trust in him. In every area, there's no area of your life that God does not know about. There's no area where you can just somehow subconsciously set it aside and, and think it's not as important to God. Everything, every single element of your life is, is, is under his lordship as a Christ follower. And we've got to realize that. Now, it's going to be interesting because as we looked at 1 John chapter 3, it says in verse 2 that we know that when he's revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Because we, we don't know everything. So it's kind of exciting. They'll be different in heaven. heaven. Believing will be different. Do you understand that? Because we'll be different. We'll be, you know, there's just elements. Now we're believing, but our belief is being bombarded by the things of this life. The temptation, the very observation, different things around you, hurts, emotion, history, habits, all these things. But there, those things will be removed. So you'll be living with a different element of belief. Does that make sense? I'm looking forward to it, quite honestly. I really am. I'm looking forward to what that experience. In the meantime, I want to make sure that every element of my life, nothing is silly or foolishly withheld thinking that that doesn't matter to God. God should be, according to what one song says, be free to reign in every part of me. That's lordship in every aspect. So we continue on with the verse. In verse 13, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. So it's building off that last verse. Cain murdered because of, I would say, at least hinted towards envy and jealousy. Agreed? That's what we're told. Envy and jealousy, which are products of a sensual, you know, relating to your senses, a sensual life. You know, you see something or see somebody do something, you can become envious and jealous. Those are products of this life. Well, don't be surprised if you're not liked, if, if, you, if you're not drawn into that stuff. I think, and I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound maybe awkward to you, but 
I think most of you here that, that I have a conversation with and have engaged at various times, I think you can honestly say this. Why, why do people hate me? I'm more compassionate. I'm more thoughtful. I'm more helpful. I'm more considerate. I'm more loving since I became a Christian. I hope you could say that about yourself. And I don't, that's not boasting. Why do people hate me? Because you resonate a love of God from your heart. You think about resonate, it speaks of uh, um, like it just, just kind of carries forward. Like a drum or, you know, that, that will resonate a certain sound. And so you and I, we resonate a certain love. It's not like going into the eyes, through the cranium, connecting to the heart, and having everybody respond wanting to know Jesus. But it, it's different. People will be offended by you just by the way you live, and you can't put a finger on it. It's not because of conversation. It's not because of interaction. It's not because of personal experience. It, they hated him, and they will hate you too. You, that, literally, God dwelling within you, there's something that's immeasurable to science. It's immeasurable to, 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 to medicine and particular studies. It's the very presence of God. And God's presence in your life resonates and hopefully we can somehow line up with that and our expressions and our habits and our engagement and our actions would be consistent with it. But even when you're inconsistent, people hate you. There will be people that hate you. I hated Christians. I hated their jargon. I hated their bilingual silliness. I, I just, when I, before I was a Christian, I hated them. And I didn't even know why. It's just there's some church people, insecure, weak people that got nothing else to do on Sunday morning. Get a life, sleep in. That was my way of thinking. Well, guess what? They did. I'd never had one do anything harmful to me. They had only, most of them that I knew were really Christian, even some relatives. They were always kind, gentle, helpful. But yet my response was, ah, they're just, ah, I hate them. How crazy, how ironic, honestly, that I'm standing here before you as a Christ follower sharing that story. But nonetheless, you get it. You resonate a love and don't ever forget that. Don't judge yourself. Don't condemn yourself. Don't say, I can do better. Realize the presence of God in your life is changing you, conforming you into his image and likeness moment by moment and day by day. It's not entirely dependent upon you. Aren't you glad? Did you hear that? It's not entirely dependent upon you because that's another form of religion. But getting to know him, you'll see a transformation take place. Guarding yourself from functions and activities that just give a feeling of doing good, but rather just being changed by the person who resides within you as a Christian. Verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. It's another confirmation, another thing for you to, to realize. Before you're born again, do you understand it was different? You were going from life to death, agreed? Everybody know that's the deal? There's nobody under age in a sense of comprehension that doesn't know birth to death is the set standard. That's what's going to happen. What you don't know is your day of departure. You can only identify based on what people tell you because you actually didn't remember your birth date. I'm pretty positive about that. Someone told you what day it was. Mom might have. Now, I remember what you put me through. <laughs> but you get it. You went from life 
These bodies will pass to death. But you see the text? We know we've passed from death to life. You have died to your old habits and are alive in Christ. You've went from death of this body to life. A confirmation of this new life is that you love differently. You see, we went to death to life because, that's the connector, the confirmation, because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Verse 14, verse 15, we'll carry it together and talk on the same. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. To go from hate to murder is only a matter of opportunity. Do you understand that? See, hate just needs opportunity. It needs time. It needs a few things circumstantially. And guess what? Murder is present. That's why Jesus was so strong about this. When he says, even if you, 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 you hate, then you even, you even speak evil of someone. You're giving, you're watering the seed of hatred. And it's going to manifest itself with the fruit of murder. He's very strong about it. So he's saying, you can't hate your brother. You can't hate people. And then claim that you have eternal life dwelling within you. Verse 16, by this we know, because we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Verse 16 is essential. What's our example? What's the high point? What's the pinnacle? What's the, what the peak expression and the primary example of love? See, you could, before you got to verse 16, you'd be, okay, I'm supposed to love people, get it? I, how, do I, how do I do that? What's it look like? Where's it, do I have a reference point? Do I have a model? Yes, you do. Verse 16 just told you and I. This is how you love. Now let's put it in street terms. Let's put it in practical reality that we can practice when we leave here because our time is about done as far as sitting in here. So let's go to the chapter that you guys all know. Most of you know. Some of you was at your wedding. 1 Corinthians 13. Practical love. Real life practice of love. This is what it looks like. This is why it's presented. This is why we're taught. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Let's stop right there. You can look at that and you can insert Jesus' name in there, can't you? Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus does not envy. He does not parade himself. He is not puffed up. Now for uh, just uh, an evaluation and assessment in a personal way by each one of you, put your name there and work through that again. I'll do it for you. I feel that like misery. Dan suffers long and is in kind. Dan does not envy. Dan does not parade himself. Is not puffed up. It gets a little awkward, doesn't it? I, it's awkward for me to even say it because I, like, I, I don't like to lie in church. It's just not a good practice for a pastor to develop. It's like, that's not true. I don't, I, I don't suffer long all the time. I, and I, I don't guard entirely and prevent any possibility of envy. So that shows me I got a long ways to go still. The question you want to ask yourself, the question we want to lay before the Lord, am I teachable? Am I reachable? Can you teach me, Lord? Because I've walked with you so long, I could give you some pointers. Or can you say, I walked with you so long, I learned a lot more, but I need to learn even more. 
Here's an interesting trait that I've observed in 30 years of, as being a Christian. Those who are teachable, they, they, they know they're further from the Lord than they first realized, but they're actually closer to the Lord. In other words, they see their faults more now than they did two years into being a Christian. Now they're going, man, that, see, that root is deep. That bitterness, that jealousy, that envy. Man, God, could you keep just pulling that out? Let's get that out of there. Because of the love, the relationship. They want it to continue to change. And religion creeps in and it's like, well, I'm looking at all the other people and seeing all their problems so I don't have to deal with mine. Which is a common issue in most relationships. When you won't deal with yours, you're going to point out someone else's. Which is never healthy. I'd like to have the worship team come up. We're going to continue through... 1 Corinthians 13, this portion is, I've mentioned 4 through 8. But as they come up here, as we work through it, I am going to close our time. After they come up, we'll have a time of prayer leading into a song of worship. And I'm going to pray through this passage with you. But let's continue in verse 5. Speaking of love, it doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. Is not provoked and thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. And as I think about that, I thought, man, what a, what a beautiful standard. What a beautiful description of what it looks like. And yet, oh, 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 I'm so far to go. I think you would say, you got a long ways to go, agreed? This love. What manner of love the Father has poured into us. This type of love. And this shouldn't be a measure like, okay, well, let's compete and compare. No, it's, it's, a, it's a reminder that he's not done with you yet. He's not completed. He's continuing to do this work to teach you and to form you and shape you because he loves you. And he knows what's best for you. And those slivers in your finger and those pains in those relationships, he's like, I'm here. I'm going to take care of it. Will you stand with me? And we'll pray, and then the worship team is going to lead us in a song of worship to close out our time in here. And you'll have opportunity to, to mingle, say hello to one another as we leave, and uh, continue to express this love we're looking at. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. And I just thank you, God, that you love us so much, you'll probe deep within the crevices of our hearts. You'll stir our minds soften our necks that we can be taught and we ask that Lord oh that we could learn more and more of your great grace this amazing love that you have for us Lord teach us God how to love in a kind way a non-envious non-arrogant in a manner that rejoices in truth and bears all things helps one another has confidence in you Lord, this love that comes from you, may it continue to grow within us and be seen around us. For your glory, oh Jesus, we thank you. We pray these things in your beautiful name and we sing to you, oh God. Amen. Amen.